Thank you, and it's so wonderful to be with you today. Of course, I'm a guest speaker today, but this is my church, just not a pastor here. And Chris asked me if I'd speak on the subject of the gift of faith as we continue our series in the gifts of the Spirit. And I've got a little story about that in a moment, but first I'd like to comment about Memorial Day if I could. I like, uh, we just said, I sometimes, have you ever mixed up Memorial Day and Labor Day? You know, the ones that, which one starts the summer and which one ends the summer. But the truth is, they're very, very different. And sometimes experiences help us to realize how different. This is Roz and I standing at Normandy. We were there at the, the 70th anniversary of the invasion of Normandy. And when, and this graveyard, as you can see, what do you see? What are all those graves? They're all crosses. So many national cemeteries, it's just a headstone, but those were crosses, unless they were Jewish, and then it would be the Star of David. And I was struck as I stood in that cemetery, and you go to that place where so many people died to set a continent free from oppression and tyranny. And I've often thought, what did those guys give their lives for? They gave it so that their descendants, many of whom never had them because they died before they ever got married and had children, could have freedom. Freedom to worship, freedom to believe, freedom to pursue their dreams, freedom of assembly. Free our basic worship, our basic freedoms here in America. And so visiting cemeteries like this impact me. Experiences like this remind me of the freedoms we enjoy. And today, you know, some of our freedoms are under attack. And so... I am reminded and feel a sacred duty personally to honor and respect those who gave so much so that we could do something like meet here today. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you grateful? I know I am. Amen. So if you've lost someone in a war or relative, I know Roz has, her family has, I have and our family, we're grateful for the sacrifice that you've made. The gift of faith. Chris called, contacted me a couple months ago, and he asked if on this series, they're going to be going through the different gifts, could I speak on the gift of faith? And I responded, we were texting, and I said, well, it's very interesting, I didn't know there was such a thing. And uh, he said, yeah, it's in the Bible. <laughs> and I got out my Bible, and I looked it up, and it is, it's in the Bible. It's, I'm just going to read to you real quickly from... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, For to one is given the word of knowledge, or the word of wisdom, through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith, there it is, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit. It's amazing how often we can read the Bible. I mean, I've probably read that passage a hundred times. And somehow I had never registered that there is a gift of faith. That's why we don't need to keep reading the Bible. Because God brings it alive to us in different times, different ways, wherever we are in our life. And so this kind of brought alive to me. Because not only that, I said, okay, I guess there's a gift of faith. I'm not sure what it is. And he wrote back. He said, well, I think you have it. <laughs> I thought, well, that's interesting. I better figure out what it is. And I've enjoyed this series that we've been going on. It's been very enlightening to me. And I think uh, Chris and, and uh, Nick and then Mike Failer have just done a spectacular job of introducing us to us these gifts of the Spirit. 
Um, what is the gift of faith? Well, I thought about it more and more. I, I interacted with Chris and Nick some about it and asked, what do you guys think it is? And I appreciated maybe distinguishing between uh, the, the saving faith, which means I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I obey the scripture of whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. By grace we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. So there's such a thing as saving faith. And then maybe there's such a thing as sanctifying faith. The same way we begin the Christian life, we grow in the Christian life. Faith means I'm believing the word of God. God said it, that settles it, I believe it. It's like that, God said it. It's in the word of God, this is his word. And if it's in his word, I'm going to believe it. That settles it. No need to argue with God about it. I'll tell you, I have argued with God before. He always wins. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not worth arguing with. I mean, that's one thing I've learned. Just don't waste too much time arguing with God because he's usually right. <laughs> you know? And so uh, there's saving faith. There's sanctifying faith. Growth, our, our holiness, growth, going to be more and more what God wants. That's all for every Christian as we get into the word of God and learn the word of God and so on. But it seems like there's another thing. And the other thing is what we might call mighty faith, a gift of faith, a faith that goes beyond salvation and growth and maybe believes God for some mighty things. It might be, as, as Nick was sharing a few weeks ago with healing, it might be a gift that does, it's not resonant within you, but it's like the Spirit gives it to us at certain times a surge of faith, shall we say, that I'm, I'm going to believe God for this, and we'll talk about some of those examples here in a moment. When Chris said he thought I might have the gift of faith, and this was new to me, uh, and, and he gave me a few reasons why, I thought of one way that you can identify your spiritual gift. Usually we think, what am I good at? What's my passion? Uh, what have other people affirmed in my life? Things of that nature. But years ago, I was at our Faith Walkers Conference, and Frank Liu shared a, a, um, uh, something that just really stuck with me. And he said, maybe you have a gift. He says, identify what frustrates you. What frustrates you when it's not done well? If you're frustrated at poor teachings, you might have the gift of teaching. If you're frustrated at disorganization, you might have a gift of administration or a gift of leadership. If you're frustrated at everything, you've got a gift of criticism, and that doesn't come from God. <laughs> but indeed, for me, I get frustrated when I see people not believing God. I get frustrated when I see people, when it seems like God is saying, do this. And we, all we come up with is excuses of why it can't happen. We analyze it till we're paralyzed, and we do nothing, and we sit on, and, and so forth. I hope that today, my prayer, and I think one thing Chris said he hopes, is maybe you will be stimulated and encouraged to take some steps of faith to show that we serve a supernatural God. People are looking for a God who's alive. They're looking for a God who's alive. This week I was in Orlando at a conference, 
National Religious Broadcasters Conference, and I, I, I had this, some spare time. I got there early one day, and I was talking to a fellow who was a jeweler, lives in Israel. For 20 years, he was a paratrooper in their army and a, and a commander, and, and he was talking to me about how he prepares troops for battle. And, and uh, he was giving me all these stories and these miracles, things that they were happening where the odds were so against them, but they prevailed. And then he kind of made, he, he's not a Christian, by the way. He's a Jew, but he's not a believer in Jesus. And he made the comment to me. He said, Christians come to Israel and they talk about miracles that happened 2,000 and 3,000 years ago. We're seeing them today. What a challenge. What a challenge. Let's hope the only miracles we talk about are not ones that happened two millennia ago. Now, those are some good ones, and they did happen, and they're not just stories. They happened, and we believe them, but brothers and sisters, our God is an eternal God. The Word of God is not only eternal, it's contemporary. Let that sink in. We would argue, would we not, that the word of God is everlasting, eternal, and it never changes. And we would, this is in our doctrinal statement, it's infallible, but the word of God is not only eternal, it's true for today. This is part of eternity. It's contemporary. Amen? Amen. Let's talk about some of these things. Uh, Mighty faith. What would it look like? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, if you will. And I'd like to look at God's Hall of Fame. And God's Hall of Fame is composed of people who did mighty deeds for God. It is his Hall of Fame. Scripture's never going to be added to. But I think you can be added into God's Hall of Fame. His Faith Hall of Fame. I don't think it's closed. I think there's room for more people to be in in there. Not in the scripture, but in God's eternal hall of fame. And the way you get there is by faith. Hebrews 11 is is God's hall of fame. And I'd like to look at some common qualities of these people who had great faith and who did great things for God. And that's exactly what this is. Remember, there's saving faith. We all want to have that. There's sanctifying faith where we believe God's promises about who we are and what it says about our identity and and Christ in us and so forth. And we grow and we develop in that. But mighty faith, some of us don't exercise it. Some of us might do those first two, but mighty faith. And God, I think like we were talking, can give you faith for something, can give you a surge of faith to believe something that maybe you hadn't believed before. Let's look in Hebrews 11. He defines faith. You don't have to look along in your Bibles with you, with you if you will. But in, in Hebrews 11, faith is defined this way. Verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. A conviction If you can see it, it's not faith. But you can have a conviction about things that are not seen. Scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. If all you walk by is sight, if you've got to see it to believe it, 
That's not faith. We believe in something we can't see. And yet, we know it's true. We know it's real. We have no doubt that it's real. We have this faith in a God who's invisible. And the, mighty, the people who do mighty acts of faith, they don't demand that they see it. They are people who do things based on faith rather than sight. It's interesting in this book of Hebrews how many illustrations, allusions he makes to sight. Let's read some of them. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Look in verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were made, were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen, there it is, what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. We have a whole world here. And we realize that there was an invisible God and made all that's seen out of something that was not visible. He created the world. What an awesome God. What a powerful God. What a powerful God. You ever wonder about the power of God? Just look at this world he made. The intelligence, the power, the wisdom, how it all works together, how it's so interdependent. How you t- it's kind of like you take out one piece you know, you, you take out the atmosphere, you take out the plants, you take out the animals. If you took out just any one piece, it, all, it wouldn't work. But it all works together so awesomely. We have an awesome God. But what is seen, we believe, was made out of what is unseen because we have conviction of things not seen. Look in verse 7. By faith, Noah, who's in the Hall of Fame, Hall, God's Hall of Fame, being warned by God about things not seen. He was warned about, he, didn't, he could not see this. He couldn't see the idea of a flood. I don't know if he could even see the idea of a big rainstorm. Some people believe it hadn't even been raining on earth. It was, the earth was watered by a mist rather than by, by rainstorms at that time. I don't know for sure. But by faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Can you imagine that? I mean, building a big ark. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's not uh, seen, a, you know, there's a replica of it down in Kentucky. It's big. It's not like the little ones that you have in the kid's bathtub with you, you know, that, that you know, uh, when, when they're, they're little kids. It's a big ark. It took him decades to build it. He'd not seen a flood, but he'd seen a vision from God. God had shown him something. God had told him something. And he, and he saw it, it, in his mind, he saw it, and he set out to build this big boat. He didn't have architectural plans given to him by God that we know of, but I believe that somehow in his mind's eye, he saw what God wanted him to do. He, he mustered the resources and he made it happen. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, going out to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Why would he do that? How could he, I mean, he left one land and he came into Canaan 
and he was and he was told he's going to establish a whole new nation in there. Well, there were Canaanites in Cana, and they didn't like him, and it was dangerous and it was risky, and it was it was leaving the security of his own land, and it was leaving it was a god that they didn't even know about, and nobody had even heard of this god, and God told him to go in there. And he went, why? How could he do such a thing? Verse 10, for he was looking for the city. There you have it. He had his eyes. He was looking for something. By faith, he had not seen it, but he was looking for something. What is it? The city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Don't you love that language? That God is building something, and he had invited Abraham to be a part of it, and Abraham left all he had to go find what God was doing, and to be a part of what God was doing. Our God is still building, by the way. Our God is still on the move. This is like we said earlier. This is not just Old, Old, Old Testament stuff. Our God is still building. And he's looking for people who are looking to be a part of it. By faith, you say, I'm, I'm in. I want to be a part of it. How about the next one, verse uh, Verse 10. We already saw, we saw verse 10. How about go down to verse 23. Let's make it, let's just actually go to, okay, verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months for his parents, by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, this was his choice, to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Why would you do that? Who in their right mind would choose to endure ill treatment, to be persecuted with the people of God than to enjoy life, enjoy the passing pleasures of sin? Who would do that? Why did he do it? Why? It goes on, he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. The reproach of, I mean, the treasures of Egypt are visible. They had tremendous treasures. Egypt was where, it was the wealthiest nation in the world. They had, and he was in the king's palace. All kinds of treasures. And instead, the reproaches, the, the criticism, the scorning, the mocking, that the people of God were receiving. They were slaves. They were at the bottom of the totem pole. Why would he do that? Why would he make that choice? Real simple. For he was looking to the reward. Our reward often is not right in front of us. Our reward, the people of faith, the reward's off in the distance. And we've got to see it. And we've got to believe it. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, are you ready, as seeing him who is unseen. I love the beauty of that literature. That Moses saw God, even though God is unseen. Friends, this is the, the people who do extraordinary things for God, they see something. They're not so busy that they don't have time to. They've They've, they've walked with, they're walking with God. They're spending time in the word of God. They're spending time in prayer. They're hearing from God. And God puts something in their soul that they can't forget. 
that Moses would leave everything for, that Abraham would leave everything for, that Noah would build an ark for, that others would build a temple or they would conquer a kingdom or go out to a battle or whatever they would do, they, would, they did it because God put something and the, it's the eyes of faith, they saw it and they could not shake it. And they became mighty people who were in God's faith hall of fame. I know in my own life, I was about 19 years old, and my good friend, one day, I can, we were down on the Oval at Ohio State, and I still remember, I can picture it today, almost 50 years later, as if it happened yesterday. And he asked me this question, Tom, if you knew you could not fail, what would you want to do with your life? It's a great question. Hopefully you've asked yourself that question. It's a scary question. I was scared to answer it. I thought answering it would make me sound proud. I thought answering it might make me sound different. I, I, what if he didn't approve of what I wanted to do? What if he said that's not a good ambition? What if he tried to talk me out of it? It's my best friend, I respected him. I was really scared to answer his question, but you know what I said? I said, if I could do anything, he said, yeah, if you could do anything, what do you want to do? I said, I'd like to go from campus to campus throughout the United States and preach the gospel out publicly and light a fire on that campus and see people saved and come to Christ and, and the Christians motivated and then after a few days go do it on another campus. And you know what? That's what I ended up doing with my life. I didn't know anyone who was doing that. I didn't have a model of anyone doing that. I didn't have an example. I didn't know of anyone who'd done it. But somehow God had put that in my heart. I'm glad I had a friend who drew it out. When I said it, it made a difference. When it was it deep in my soul, it was there, important to be there, but it's saying it, what, what God was putting in my heart, saying it, made a difference. I want to ask you, if you knew you couldn't fail, you could do anything. You wouldn't fail. What would you want to do? Has that, have you, and, and not only think about it right now, but have you ever verbalized that? I will say, some of you may say, well, yeah, it was great at the 19 to ask that question, but now look where I'm at. I've got, you know, I'm married, got a job, got responsibilities, got a mortgage, got debts, got a family, got kids, got a lot of, lot of I'm, in a, I'm in a certain aspect of life, in a certain uh, routine of life, I, I, so forth. Can't ask that question now. Well, maybe you can. Our God's a mighty God. Our God's looking for people who are going to take, take a risk for him. Our God is looking for people who are going to say, God, you're bigger than my problem, bigger than my questions, bigger than, bigger than the obstacles that face me. There were obstacles that faced me when I said that. It, was not, it, it wasn't like he, my friend said, okay, well, here's how you apply and you can go do that. No. There were plenty of obstacles. And today I continue to ask myself that question on a somewhat regular basis. Not every day. But Tom, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you want to do? Have you ever thought that out? And then have you ever verbalized it? There's power when you actually speak it. When my friend drew it out of me, when it drew it out of me, there's power that comes from verbalizing. I don't know what it is. It's, it, it, maybe it's just a, you're committed to it now. If you're going to say it, you've got to do it. Have you ever done that? 
It helps to have someone draw you out and to have someone see, to be able to see that and draw out what you see. I must confess, but there's other times when people have faith, and this is a very important thing, because sometimes God puts this vision in someone else's life, not yours, in someone else's mind, and you're a part of someone else's faith vision. And that's fine too. I'm not just saying we all pursue our individual thing. Sometimes God will put a great vision in the heart and mind of someone else, and you will come alongside to help fulfill that. And that's good. That's an act of faith as well. I shared about speaking on campuses as, as one that was fulfilled, but I've got to tell you about another one that's, that's uh, maybe, maybe a missed opportunity. Back in the early 1990s, Roz and I were living in San Diego, and there was a fellow in our church named Dave, and Dave was one of the original programmers who, who programmed MP3 technology, which is how we get all our audio downloaded onto our phones or whatever. If you listen to, if it goes through the uh, internet, MP3 technology. He was one of the founders of the mp3.com, and so this was a new technology. He was in our church. Dave didn't believe in God at the time. He's since become a Christian. His wife would bring him to our church. She believed in God, and she wanted him to sit there. And, um, and, and he didn't believe, but he enjoyed listening to me. And one day, he invited me to lunch over at mp3.com, and he showed me these studios and this beautiful building, and they had a lot of money. This was during the internet boom. They, you know, all kinds of money was coming in, and they had, uh, I mean, it was, it was a really cool facility they had. And then he turned to me, and he said, Tom, you should put your sermons on, on the internet and people could listen to your sermons on the internet. It had never been done before. No one had ever done that. This was the brand new technology. They were just starting to come out with some songs and music. He said, you should put your sermons up there. I said to him, Dave, no one's going to listen to sermons on the internet. <laughs> He said, oh, yes, they will. I said, no, they won't. I could have been the answer to a trivia question. Who put the first sermon on the internet? He had, see, he had vision for that, and he shared his vision with me, and I said no. That's one of the bigger missed opportunities of my life. I regret that. I regret that when someone had a vision for me, I said no. Who knows how my life would have been different had I said yes to that opportunity. Really, who knows? I can only imagine. Do you ever, does anyone ever, does God give you a vision or does someone share a vision with you and you say no? Now that doesn't mean you always respond to every time anyone ever suggests something to you. But it doesn't mean you take it to God and you think about it. I never prayed about it. When Dave suggested that to me, I had my excuse. I said, no way. I never even prayed about it. All it would have taken for me, you ready? All it would have taken was for me to take our cassette tapes. If you remember, some of you don't know what those are. <laughs> but our cassette tapes that we were recording each Sunday and just hand them over to him and say, go ahead and do it. That's all it would have taken. But I said, no. Folks, sometimes God opens doors, and if, he, if you've missed some open doors, don't, you know, don't sit around and cry about it. 
but determined not to miss them. Our God is working. Don't miss the opportunities that God brings your way. The second thing faith does is, is faith acts. Faith acts on what it sees. See, here was the example where I didn't act. I had an excuse. I had an excuse. I've discovered something in life. Whenever God gives you a vision of something to do significant, you are almost certain to be inundated with excuses of why it won't, can't, and shouldn't happen. It just has, it's just, why? We have a spiritual enemy. And he lies to us. And I, I, I've noticed, I mean, with myself, I've got an active mind. Maybe I do have this gift of faith that Chris was talking about. Because I'm just always seeing opportunities. I'm always saying, boy, this could happen, and this could happen, and we could do this, and we could do that. And, and, and I'm, I'm just inundated. I had someone once tell me, Tom, take your ideas, write them down on a, in a journal, close it, and look at it again 30 days later. If you're still interested, then go for it. <laughs> because I get too many to act on. And, and uh, I thought that was good advice. Someday I'll follow it. Um, <laughs> but, but whenever there's this opportunity, you can trust that our enemy will give you excuses. Why not? That won't work. You're too old. You don't have the resources. No one would listen to you. All of these excuses will come to your mind. You're not, you don't have what it takes. They come to my mind. And I want to encourage you that we can analyze things until we're so analytical we've done nothing and we've missed the opportunity. Because sometimes the opportunities God's calling us to, the doors don't stay open forever. And sometimes if we don't walk through them, someone else will. And if God has given you a chance to do something mighty for him, remember when he called the children of Israel to enter into the promised land. They said no. They had an excuse. What was their excuse? There's giants in the land. There's giants in the land. They're scary. How could we do that? We don't want, they listened to the bad report. They listened to the, those who did not believe. The 12 spies had gone in to spy out the land. They, when they came back, two of them said, boy, there's giants in the land, but our God's bigger. He'll give us the land. 10 of them said, there's giants in the land. I don't know. And the people listened to the 10. And they didn't enter. They didn't cross the Jordan. And so what happened? The next day they regretted it. And they said, boy, I wish we want to cross now. It was too late. They'd missed their chance. Today, if you hear the voice of God, respond is what we read in Hebrews. Today, respond to God. God we, don't, we don't do mighty things for God when we just, when when anything he calls us to, we sit back and analyze and 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 say, well, I'll think about it. That's that's kind of putting you in the place of God. We're his servants. We respond to him. When he says, I'm really, when he says, let's go, we go. We don't say, I'll think about it. You might miss the opportunity. Faith acts, but it usually takes courage. Because great acts of faith almost always entail danger. The danger might be a physical danger. I know I've done some things that were physically, I've gone to some places that were physically dangerous. And I, and, and I, I had to be careful. Sometimes the danger is embarrassment. 
I know I told you I'd wanted to preach on campus. Well, the only examples I'd have of preaching on campus, it was, they were kind of embarrassing, to be honest. I didn't want to be like that. I wanted to do something different. And I thought, what if I blow it? I mean, I've kind of got a good reputation. What if I ruin my reputation? What if I try something and fail? Do you know no leader wants to fail? Do they? Not in front of others. No leader wants to fail in front of others. I remember one of the first times I was ever entrusted with any leadership responsibility. I was, I was uh, to lead a, we were having a camp out. There was about 30, 35 people in the, in camping out. And I was the one leading the, the, the thing for the first time as a young guy. And we had a little bonfire out there that we were doing. And, the, and suddenly, you know, the, the wind started blowing and the, you could see these clouds were moving in. It seemed like a big thunderstorm was, was about to hit us. And I remember thinking, uh, may, even making the suggestion, hey, we better, we better shut this down and go get to some shelter, feeling responsible. And one of the other guys there said, well, why don't we just pray it doesn't rain? And I thought, what do you do as a leader there? Well, I'll tell you what I did. I said, I, I mean, I didn't want to fail in front of everybody, did I? So I said, bro, that's a great idea. Why don't you lead us? <laughs> and if it rains, it's your faith that failed, <laughs> not mine. And he prayed, and it never rained. I missed my chance, but he, 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 he did good. <laughs> faith takes courage. Faith is risky. Faith, mighty faith, if you're going to build an ark, if you're going to cross the Jordan River, if you're going to go through the Red Sea, if you're going to leave Egypt, if you're going to go into Canaan, the promised land, if you're going to do these things, those are risky things. Those are dangerous things. But that's where God's, God is seen. I've often thought in life, you know, I've pictured life as kind of climbing a tree. And, and I like to climb trees. If you climb a tree, say an apple tree, where's the fruit? It's out on the edge. The apples are out on the edge. They're out on the limbs. The secure place climbing a tree is to hold on to the trunk, right? But there's no apples there. There's no apples there. If you want apples, what do you have to do? You have to let go of the trunk and kind of sneak out onto the limb a little bit. It's bending. If I do it now, it bends even more than it used to. You know, it's bending. Maybe you hear a little cracking sound. You see that fruit is so close. I want that apple. But I have to leave the security to get it. Faith is dangerous. Mighty faith. It's risky. You could be embarrassed. You could fail. As a matter of fact, I dare say I've failed more than I've succeeded, partly because God wants to humble us, and God wants us to be dependent upon him, and God wants our faith to, to, to be so, so desperate that we need him, and if we always succeeded, we'd never have that. Early in my preaching experience, I, I, uh, I remember down in the Oval, we'd go out, and the 50-year the anniversary, these were things like, you know, we were doing 49 years ago. And maybe uh, Mike Cater, Dennis Clark, if you know them, maybe they'll show up here, I don't know, would play the guitar and, and sing some songs. 
and um, a few people would stop around, and then, then I'd get up and preach and share the gospel. And, and we'd hope people would stop and listen. And I still remember the very first thing I ever said. For way back in 1976, I still remember the first message I ever preached on the Oval. It's like it's clear in my mind. It's so, so significant to me. But I also remember this. I lost my voice. After about five minutes, my voice was gone. I was hoarse. I was frustrating. I let someone else take over. But we tried it a number of times, and every time I would lose my voice. Now, if you are called to do something that requires speaking and speaking loudly, and after five to ten minutes, your voice goes hoarse and you can't speak anymore, uh, that's embarrassing. It's humbling. It does, it's not working. And I remember being frustrated. And I lived amongst brothers who loved me and accepted me. And I'm sure everyone would say, Tom, don't worry about it. God can use you in other ways. There's other things you can do. You have other gifts, other talents. You don't have to do that. You can be used in other ways. So let go of that. Obviously, you don't have the equipment for it. But one day in my prayer time, I was walking down here by the Olentangy, right over by Ackerman, the spillway, and I still remember, God, I want to do this so badly. I believe you called me to it, but I lose my voice after minutes. And God brought a verse to my mind, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather boast of my weaknesses that the power of God may dwell in me. I prayed to God. I said, Father, if this verse can count for that, I got a weak voice. I've got a weak voice. If you'll give me a strong voice, I'll do this, and I'll always give you the credit. Do you know I've never lost my voice since? That was, that was like, 40, that was in 1978. I've never lost my voice since. Now I preach five hours on a campus at a time, and I can be heard like a long ways. I don't really need this microphone. God wanted to show his power. Don't ever let your excuses, don't ever let your excuses keep you from pursuing what God wants you to do. Don't ever let that happen. Now, I'm not saying, you know, come up with just some wild, crazy idea and say, I can do it, and when it really is completely impractical. But I'm saying if God puts it on your heart, and you'll know, if God puts something on your heart and he's bringing it out, you will face obstacles. You will. It will be hard. It will be difficult. It was hard for Noah to build that ark. It was hard for Moses to lead these million-plus people out of Egypt. It was, it was a challenge. There's not only is it, was it normally a challenge, there's the spiritual opposition. There is a, an evil world out there that tries to stand in the way of any time you want to do anything for God. Don't let it stop you. Act on it. Don't analyze it and find all the excuses and reasons why it can't work that you just end up doing nothing. The final thing I'd like to say is that faith never gives up. And it's kind of related to the story I just told, but faith never gives up because there is opposition. And 
And sometimes faith is not only what you accomplish like in, in a project or doing something, but sometimes we need, as I said earlier, someone else to have faith for us. I think probably some of us have gotten discouraged, wondered if, if something you're praying for, hoping for is ever going to happen. And maybe you need someone else to have faith for you. I know I, several years ago, many of us know Roz was very, very, very ill. And, and um, I mean, we thought could die. And it was a woman in this church who prayed for her. And, and her faith instilled faith in Roz. I'm going to get better. And she captured something. Her faith and her prayers instilled that faith in Roz when, when we were losing faith. Years ago, we had a, uh, a, a woman living with us, a college student at the University of Maryland. I'm going to call her Jackie. I'm not going to use her real name for this story. I'm going to call her Jackie. And Jackie was coming out of the, L, uh, the lesbian lifestyle. She was a rugby player at the University of Maryland. She was a rough, tough person. And uh, she had come to Christ. And she needed, she'd come... We thought being part of our family would help her reorient her life and so forth. We'd, we'd spend many, many nights talking about her challenges, her temptations, her struggle, what it means to walk with Christ, to be sanctified in Christ, to what God, how God's wanted to change us. <clears throat> and I remember Jackie would often say, now, Tom, I'm going to be celibate the rest of my life. You're not praying that I'd ever like a man, are you? And I'd say, well, yeah, I'll just pray about my prayers. Don't you dare pray that, Tom. I'm never going to like a man. I'm willing to be celibate. I know that this is wrong. I'm willing to be celibate. But don't you pray that I'll like a man, because I'm never going to like a man. And I said, well, okay, you just focus on Jesus. I'd say, you just focus on Jesus, and I'll pray what I want to pray. <clears throat> well, she lived with us for, you know, over a year, one night I came home, late, it was late in the evening, and Roz said to me, you need to go talk to Jackie. I said, why? She met a girl on campus today, and she's, uh, she, she's leaving. She's moving out. She's going to go meet her tonight. And, uh, you know, a lesbian relationship. I went downstairs and started talking to Jackie. She was packing, throwing her clothes in her suitcase. She was crying. See, to her, she was making a decision to leave the Lord, and to leave us, and it was hard, but she was doing it. She was throwing her stuff in. She was crying. I said, Jackie, you can't leave. Tell me why not. I, sure, I'm going to leave. I can't. She kept saying, Tom, you don't know how hard it is. You don't know how, how hard it is. I've been fighting, and I've not changed. I've been fighting, fighting, not changed. I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm, I met this girl in camps today. I can't deny the way I feel. And I said, uh, you know, doing all I can. Well, finally, she got all her stuff packed. It's a true story. By the way, if I exaggerate a little, forgive me. Uh, <laughs> true story. She packed her suitcase. She started to walk out to the door. And I stood in front of the door. I said, you're not leaving. That's an exaggeration. I said, remember, she is a rugby player. And uh, I said, you're not leaving, Jackie. And she said, you're not going to let me leave? I said, no. 
She said, why? I said, because Roz and I love you too much to give up on you. And with tears in her cheeks, she just stared at me. Seemed like forever. Probably it's 10 seconds. She said, Tom, do you really believe I can change? And I said, I do. She said, you don't know how hard it is. And I said, you're right. I don't know how hard it is. But I know God is bigger than your trial. I know God is bigger than your problem. I know God is bigger than your feelings. I know God is bigger. I believe that. She shook her head. She said, okay, I won't go. I won't go. And she didn't go. And she stayed. But that's not the end of the story. About a year later, she came home one day and she said, Tom, Ross, I got to talk to you. As soon as we get the kids to bed, I got to have a conversation with you. She's so excited. We got the kids to bed and we said, Jackie, what's going on? And she said, okay, now I know I'm not supposed to do this, okay? I know I'm not supposed to do this. So what, what, what do you mean? She said, today at school, you'll never guess what happened. I said, what, what happened? I lusted for a man. (laughs) She said, he was the nicest guy. He was so kind. He's a Christian. He's going to come to church Sunday. She said, I never felt that way before. Never felt that way. You know, about a year and a half later, she married that man. Now, 30 plus years later, probably 35 years later, they're still married. They've raised a family. And she would, she would thank God that that night I didn't give up on her. Do you have anyone like that in your life? Is your small group developing that type of loyalty to one another? That if, that if you were to just walk away from faith, people say, well, you make your own decisions. Or do you have anyone with enough faith that they would fight for you? They would fight for you. They would say, your faith is weak, but I'm believing for you. I'm trusting God for a miracle in your life. There may be no way you could explain this normally or psychologically, but our our God's bigger than psychology. Our God is bigger than our problems. Our God is bigger than our temptations. Our God is a mighty God. I go back to what Moshe told me. This week, you Christians go to Israel and talk about miracles from 2,000 years ago. We're seeing miracles today. Is your God alive today? Mighty faith, mighty faith believes God, whether you're going to go accomplish something, whether you're going to see something and some, believe something in, God's, in someone's life, whether you may have a health issue, you've got to pray to God, and it looks terrible, all the reports, and are you going to just, what are you going to do? Are you going to believe God? Now, again, I'm not, I think you have to hear from God, and God has to give you that faith. But if he puts it in your heart, follow up on it. Maybe it's just a mustard seed. Water it. Don't crush it. Don't come an excuse why it can't happen. If he gives you a mustard seed of faith, water it. Fertilize it. Protect it. Let it grow. I believe in our church we want to see God do some mighty things. We want to see God do some mighty things. I pray for, you want to pray for me and, I, and, you, and pray for yourself. We be people who see the unseen. We have the courage to act on it. And we never give up even when it becomes tough. Amen? Father in heaven, I pray today for each of us here in our church.
that we, you might raise up people here who are people mighty in faith. I want to ask, Lord, every one of us would have that saving faith. If there's anyone here today who's never trusted Jesus and isn't yet saved, they would today. They'd say, I want, this. I want this life. I want to know God. And Father, for those of us who have sanctifying challenges right now, that you give us the faith to believe you for growth in our lives and overcoming bad habits and overcoming sinful attitudes and bad speech patterns, whatever it is that's that's causing us to not reflect Jesus the way we should. But Father, I want to also pray that you'd raise up some champions from this church who would, have, who would perform mighty deeds of faith in the name of Jesus Christ. And that we'd see lives not just grow slowly, a little bit here and there. We'd see some radical transformations, some radical conversions, some people break free from bondage, some people who experience the living God. We thank you your word is not only eternal, it's also contemporary. It's for today. Bring it alive in us, we pray. Father, I want to ask for anyone here that you've put something even in their mind or reminded them, today, you're seeing something. I pray, Lord, you'd fulfill that for your glory. You'd give them courage to act upon it. Give them the courage to, to verbalize it. You know, there was something I saw, something I think God wants me to believe him for. It's, it would be a miracle. It's supernatural. I can't do it on my own. But I'm going to speak it. I'm going to say it out loud. I'm going to make that commitment. This, write it down. And I'm going to pursue it, and I won't give up. And I pray these things for each of us in Jesus' name. Amen.